the food we have on our plates tomorrow will depend a lot on the choices we make as a society today. These choices are affected by demographics, health, trade interdependencies, geopolitics, like the crisis in Ukraine has reminded us only too well, and up of all, climate change. This is Amin Donsil for a new episode of our series on the issues and challenges of the EU's green transition in our lives, produced with our European radio network, Euronet Plus. Climate change is leading to extremes of temperature, with Europe experiencing periods of unprecedented heat and drought, at the same time as exceptionally cold spells and record rainfall. While agriculture does contribute to this worrying trend, it is also a victim of it. Climate change affects, for example, a farmer's choice of crops and livestock watering practices, the availability of water for irrigation, and how agricultural products are processed. As things currently stand, farmers in all regions are on the back foot, constantly striving to adapt their practices to suit the vagaries of the climate. Sicilian agronomist Dr. Corrado Vigo tells Giulia from Radio 24 in Italy. Vigo explains that Sicily has borne witness to crop changes in response to shifts in both the climate and consumer behavior. Sicily has an endemic problem with droughts, and what we're seeing is a change in crop types. There are now a lot of avocado plantations, like there are in Israel or Spain. This is because there's a high level of demand, and when there's demand, inevitably entrepreneurs convert some of their lemon, orange or olive trees into avocados. It is clear that some of the trendy choices we make as consumers may help some sector players to evolve in the face of climate change. But not all such shifts are even successful. As wild crops such as avocados thrive in high summer temperatures, they do not take so kindly to the bitter frosts and floods to which they are also being subjected. Indeed, with animal husbandry a key contributor to global warming, and livestock supply chain alone estimated to represent 14.5% of all greenhouse gas emissions, scientists are calling for a more radical transformation of our global diet towards sustainable, mostly plant-based foods. Yet it is simply unrealistic for the whole world to completely abandon meat and animal products. In fact, despite the fact that small segments of the population in the developed world are reducing their meat intake, data from the FAO, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, suggest that global meat production is expected to rise by 14% on 2020 figures by 2030. It doesn't help that eating meat still carries socio-economic prestige in many developing countries. So scientists are busy looking for alternatives. They have even started growing meat in test tubes. Elvira Rayene, an agriculture and food science professor at Vitotas Magnus University, has no doubt that in 20 years' time, maybe even sooner, every one of us will be able to go into a shop and buy lab-grown meat and meat products. Yariene is talking to Auguste for Ginura Diaz in Lithuania. Yeah. 
You can grow 10 tons of beef from a single stem cell. And to what end? Compared to the livestock sector, we can make water savings of about 90%. Added to this, we save about 99% of the land. These statistics come from the UN. On top of all this, we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Think about these figures. It's really worth considering and looking for this type of alternative. Even 3D printers are already in use. Food is actually being printed on 3D printers. It's possible, for example, to print chocolate, a cup of chocolate. Similarly, we can make and cook burgers from minced meat developed in the lab. These experiments are underway. It's understandable that there is still a lot of negativity and debate, but we have no other choice. There are so many hungry people in the world. If we want to provide for them, if we want to have a safe and green planet, we have to take drastic action. Marianne Mego Fonseca, the co-founder of Gelatix, an Estonian startup involved in the creation of cell-cultured meat, echoes this sentiment in a conversation with Smart at Kuku Radio. Praegu, kui me vaatame seda, milline keskkonna mõju on praegusel liha tootmisel, et siis kolmandik haritavast maast läheb, läheb siis loomade kasvat. If we look at the impact of meat production on the environment, we see that about a third of cultivated land is devoted to meat production. About a third of our fresh water is used for it. About 15% of CO2 emissions stem from this production, and about 70% of antibiotics are used on animals, which we then consume. The move to cell-cultured meat makes a very significant impact. It's estimated that we will reduce land and water use by about 99%. The first products are already on the market in Singapore, so the future is already here and now. If the regulations allowed it, I'm sure more and more companies would enter this market with new products. If there were to be a radical shift in this direction, this would also mean changing the crops we grow in the EU, as most of Europe's cereals are used to feed livestock. As Moshka Koroshek, Associate Professor of Food Science and Technology at the University of Ljubljana, told our RTV Slow colleagues in Slovenia. Koroshek adds that we need a bit of blue sky thinking when it comes to finding alternative sources of protein. This is where so-called alternative sources of protein, such as pulses, which we may already know from our ancestral diets, come into play. There are also other protein sources, such as insects. These are traditional foods in some parts of the world, but they are considered incredibly exotic in other regions. A third alternative source of protein is seaweed, or microalgae, which is rich in protein and also in vitamins and minerals. Joanna Moura, a Portuguese nutritionist and food author, 
Rage rates this perhaps unpalatable truth about insects. Mura is speaking to our colleagues at Radio Renascença in Portugal. In Asian countries, this is something we see even on street stalls. Fried insects are considered a delicacy. This is a protein source that we can turn to in the future. Indeed, we will probably have to draw on it. There are already insect flowers for making, for example, cakes and biscuits. Often people have no idea, but there's already a lot of protein flour produced from insects. There isn't any difference in flavor. If you didn't know, I don't think you'd notice. At least not in the insect flour biscuits that I've tasted. You wouldn't know if you weren't told. Speaking to Radina Stagunceva from Trakia University, our BNR colleagues gleaned a surprising piece of information that goes some way to explaining why some Bulgarian producers consider this an opportunity not to be missed. The silkworm has an application as a substitute for animal proteins. The silkworm is rich in protein. It contains twice as much as pork, four times as much as milk and the same amount as eggs. The production of such proteins is absolutely waste-free. A long time ago now, Japanese scientists were developing nutritional regimes for astronauts in which silkworms featured. But what can be done to help this budding bug industry? Kremena Dervenkova, co-chair of Bulgaria's Associations of Insect Producers and Processors, clarifies that the right legislation needs to be in place and there must be financial support available. Bulgaria, the If Bulgaria adopts appropriate regulations, it will have the chance of developing a competitive insect farming sector. Let's look at it from an economic point of view. This is an opportunity for Bulgaria to be a leader in the production and export of insect products to the whole of Europe. There is a place for such an industry in Bulgaria, and we can encourage and incentivize more people to enter this sector. At the European level, there are no subsidies to fund this sector and help it to develop faster. But some member states have their own policies to offer state subsidies. The EU has recently updated its rules on so-called novel food. Insect products that comply with new EU rules are already on the market and we are also seeing the small-scale commercialization of cultured meat. The European Commission also drafted its Food 2030 Agenda through which it plans to fund some innovative research programs. The Healthy Minor Cereals Projects, for instance, studies five species of currently less cultivated cereals to ensure food diversity. Our colleague Stefan from Radio Romagna spoke to MEP Christian Bouchoy about what lies ahead for the bloc. It's difficult to know now exactly what the future will look like. What with food market trends, our eating habits, the relatively small and ever decreasing number of farmers, and the effects of climate change on agricultural land. However, in recent years there has been a lot of promotion at European level of conscious consumer choices for a healthy and balanced diet. And there are similar discussions taking place outside the EU, for example in the US and in Asian countries. 
It starts with how well we promote sustainability, food production, organic foods, obviously not genetically modified foods, and even foods that come in pill form. And all these courses of action, plus all measures aimed at supporting agriculture and farmers, can have a positive effect on the sustainability of the food market as we know it today. I expect the new Common Agricultural Policy, 2021-27, and the Farm to Fork strategy to support farmers in being more efficient and more ecological, paying closer attention to resources, but without the end result of completely artificial products. Two young women in Brussels have recently established a canteen-style restaurant where anyone can drop by to help cook or simply to eat, and people pay what they can give. This innovative social project also has a sustainable aims, as the founders want to prove that it is possible to cook sustainable food at an affordable price. They disagree with the drive to create new foods and believe that the food of tomorrow should simply be a vegetarian dish homemade with local and organic ingredients. As they tell our colleagues at RTBF Belgium, they also consider that learning through doing is the best way to convince people that sustainable and healthy eating is not as hard as they might think. At Comme à la Maison, we have a project where locals do the cooking because we think that the best way for them to take ownership of more sustainable food is to do this together. There's no point in making big speeches about guilt, that just gets in the way. People want to change, everyone is aware of global warming. But we often don't know where to start, so we get stuck, we feel guilty, we don't feel we have the know-how and so on. And on top of that, we're also talking about our health. In short, everyone wants to feel better by eating more healthily. Everyone understands there's a link. So we invite people to come and experience this together in a nice, friendly, accessible atmosphere. We talk about things while doing them. And the pleasure of cooking means that we'll take the new behavior on board. And afterwards, everyone goes home full of ideas of things they want to cook. What has been so eye-opening in this podcast is that the days of tofu and note roasts being the only meat-free options on the menu are clearly long gone. On the contrary, there is a plethora of meat alternatives out there that are both good for the planet and healthy for our bodies. So whether we are inspired to dabble in a bit of bog baking, fancy some lab-grown meat or simply prefer to stick with tried and tested pulses, we have the power, as consumers, to make change happen. And I'll leave the final words to clinical dietetician, author and food trend researcher Dr. Hanna Stolinska, who shared her thoughts with Kasia from Polskie Radio in Poland. It's all about our approach to our bodies and our approach to the world we live in. I think we're all able to see that the climate is changing, that our food is changing, and that we ourselves can directly influence the state of the climate simply by choosing the right diet. Maybe one individual doesn't have an impact. But if everyone starts thinking this way, the impact is huge. And I actually see this in my own practice, especially when it comes to giving up eating animal products, sometimes even just meat, not necessarily dairy, eggs or fish. 
I always ask why someone is giving up meat. And more and more often I hear that it is partly because of our climate. So this is very positive. Our next episode will be dedicated to parting. Does letting our hair down mean letting go of everything, including our environmental convictions? For now, thanks for listening. Bye.